Right on radio. Right on radio. Good evening and God bless you. It's time for our time in the word together on Right on Radio. A favorite passage describing our all-powerful God, that is, our omnipotent God, is Jeremiah chapter 32. I would like to read a portion of that to you this evening, starting with verse 17. Adonai, that is the Lord God, you made heaven and earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You display your grace to thousands, but also repay the guilt of the fathers into the lap of their children who follow them. Great, powerful God, whose name is Adonai Tsevaot, that is, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Great in counsel, mighty in deed. Your eyes are open to all the ways of human beings in order to repay each one according to his ways, according to the consequences of what he does. You gave signs and performed miracles in the land of Egypt, which continue to this day, also in Israel and among other people. Thus you made yourself the reputation you have today. You brought your people of Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and miracles, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You gave them this land, which you had sworn to their ancestors that you would give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. But, as always, there is much more to this passage than we usually allow ourselves to see. But let's look to him before we look deeper into his word. Our Father and our great King, thank you for your word. You've given it to us, first of all, so that we could know you. You've given it to us to give us instructions on how to live a life that will be full of life. Teach us from your word this evening. Hide your servant behind the cross. Let me not say one word that is from my own motivation, but let your word go forth with power. We pray B'Shem Yeshua in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. The event that Jeremiah records here is one that is happening just before Nebuchadnezzar would attack and destroy Jerusalem. Yet God was directing Jeremiah to redeem the land of his cousin. You see, they had an understanding from God's word that if someone became poor to the point that they had to sell their land, someone in the family could redeem it to keep that land in the family. But Jeremiah might ask, for what purpose? 
Will it do any good to redeem land that is about to be overrun by an invading army that will deport its residents many miles to the east? But listen as Jeremiah continues. They, the Israelites, entered and took possession of the land. But they did not pay attention to your voice, O Lord. They did not live according to your Torah, your commandments, and did nothing of all you ordered them to do. Therefore, you made this complete disaster befall them. The siege works are already here. They have come to the city to capture it. And the city, by means of sword, famine, and plague, is being handed over to the Kastim, fighting against it. What you foretold is being fulfilled here. You see it yourself. Yet you, Adonai God, have said to me, buy the field for money and call witnesses, even as the city is being turned over to the Kazdim. Jeremiah started out by praising God for his great and mighty power, his ability to create the heavens and the earth. But his soliloquy devolved into asking God, with the enemy about to take over and destroy our land, why should I bother to redeem this land for our family? Then this word of Adonai came to Jeremiah. Look, I am Adonai, the God of every living creature. Is there anything too hard for me? For Jeremiah to purchase, to redeem land that was about to be overrun by the enemy, reminds me of another incident. A little different, but it's one of Abraham, the action he took in the land promised to him, yet with the knowledge that his descendants would become slaves in a foreign land. Genesis 21.33 says, Then he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, the well of seven, or the well of the oath and called there on the name of Adonai, the everlasting God. He lived as an outsider in the land of the Philistines for many days. I don't know about you, but for many years, I kind of went by that thing about the planting of a tamarisk tree. What might be the significance of planting a tamarisk tree? How many of you have a tamarisk tree in your yard? Well, these trees grow very slowly, so slowly that neither Abraham, nor Isaac, nor Jacob would get to rest in its shade. It would be for descendants several generations thence. That is, faith in God's faithfulness and mighty power in action. He planted a tamarisk tree saying, yes, he's given us this land and my descendants will actually get to rest in the shade of this tree that I'm planting. Now, let's take a look at one of the most notable demonstration of God's immense power in the early years of the fledgling nation of Israel's history. 
following many miracles already, the Israelites found themselves on the shore of a large and deep body of water with mountains on either side and now with advancing Egyptian army beyond, behind them. And we know for a fact that this, this particular location on the Gulf of Aqaba or Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, would have been this place. In fact, there's a pillar there that Solomon has erected many years ago. Uh, on the other side, on the Arab side, where Midian would have lived, much of the writing of Solomon or his scribes has been erased. But on the uh, Egypt side, it's still legible. Well, this great event uh, demonstrating God's immense power is that of parting the Red Sea. Let's go to Exodus chapter five, uh, 14, verse 15. Adonai asked Moshe, or Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift your staff. Reach out with your hand over the sea and divide it in two. The people of Israel will advance into the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'll make the Egyptians hard-hearted and they will march in after them. Thus I will win glory for myself at, at the expense of Pharaoh and all his army, chariots, and cavalry. Then the Egyptians will realize that I am Adonai when I have won myself glory at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. Next, the angel of God who is going ahead of the camp of Israel moved away and went behind them, and the column of cloud moved away from in front of them and stood behind them. It stationed itself between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was cloud and darkness here, but light by night there, so that the one did not come near the other all night long. Moses reached out his hand over the sea, and Adonai caused the sea to go back before a strong east wind all night. He made the sea become dry land and its water was divided in two. Then the people of Israel went into the sea on the dry ground with the water walled up for them on their right and on their left. By the way, those walls would have probably been around a hundred feet tall. Now, if we believe the skeptics who say that the parting of the Red Sea was on the other branch, uh, near Egypt, I have to hand it to a, a young man who in his Sunday school class had that kind of idea purported, and he went home and he says, I heard the greatest miracle ever yet had to do with the parting of the Red Sea, and his father said, oh yeah, tell me about it. He says, well, God drowned the entire Egyptian army in ankle-deep water.
So there, I believe it was the hundred foot deep water on the other side that God parted. He didn't need humans to come up with an easier plan so God could handle it. God can handle anything. There is nothing too hard for him. Now the Egyptians continued their pursuit going after them into the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry. Just before dawn, Adonai, the Lord, looked out on the Egyptian army through the column of fire and cloud and threw them into a panic. He caused the wheels of their chariots to break off so that they could move only with difficulty. By the way, I might mention that uh, deep sea divers have gone to that place opposite Pihahiroth and done some deep sea diving and found coral encrusted remains of chariots. What would those be doing there except that what we're reading is true? He caused the wheels of the chariots to break off so that they could only move with, with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Adonai is fighting for Israel against the Egyptians. Let's get away from them. Well, we know the history. We know what happened to Pharaoh and his elite army. And this whole event was the spark plug that even though trials came and they forgot just how powerful God is, it's the spark plug that set off the beginning of a great nation. But why did they, or more Importantly, why do we forget God's power and find ourselves languishing in unbelief and despair? Here are a few observations I've found from life and from the Word. We are apt to succumb to such lies the enemy may purport as relegating the great miraculous acts of God to just Bible stories. They didn't really happen. But that denies the power of God to communicate his truth in a reliable way. It puts us as mere humans in the place of judging what parts of God's word are true and what parts are not. Sounds like the ministry of disinformation, maybe? Well, another lie we succumb to is denigrating ourselves to be a lower class of believers saying, God wouldn't do that kind of thing for me. We forget that he loves all of us deeply and he does amazing things for those who love him. Another lie is theorizing that God's stopped doing miracles after all of scripture had been written saying, God doesn't do things like that anymore. But God, but scripture says in Hebrews 13, 8, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God hasn't changed. He is still in the business of working mighty miracles. You might want to get ready. I believe more are coming soon to a planet near you.
right here. Well, another lie is focusing on the problem instead of on the great God who solves the very worst of problems. One notable example of this is from scripture. The people of Israel, after 40 years in the desert, are on the cusp of entry into their land of promise. But first, they're going to reconnoiter the land. And after doing so, they come and tell what they have found. And even though they were not asked to do so, they gave their uh, editorial opinions as to what should happen next. Here we go from Numbers 13, 26. They traveled into the promised land and returned to Moses, Aaron, and the entire community of B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They gave their report to them and the entire assembly. They showed the land's fruit. They gave their account to him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and indeed it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruit, except the people living in the land are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, the Southland. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites are living in the mountains, and the Canaanites are living near the sea along the bank of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should definitely go up and capture the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, Oh, we can't attack these people because they're stronger than we are. They spread among the sons of Israel a bad report about the land they had explored, saying, The land through which we pass to explore, devours its residents. All the people we saw there are men of great size. We also saw there the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as in theirs. So, in spite of the minority opinion of Joshua and Caleb, in spite of the many miracles, like the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from a rock, the list goes on and on. All these they had witnessed along the way. The majority said, nah, we can't trust God to take us safely into the land. In other words, the people had recreated God in their own image, and they in the flesh could not defeat the enemy. They re, the, their recreated God was much too small for the task. God's response, says Adonai, the Lord, said to Moses, how long will these people treat me contemptibly? How long will they neglect to trust in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them. 
Well, my friends, we need to commit ourselves to the truth, the truths that counter the enemy's lies. First of all, the history recorded in God's word really did happen. It's not a fairy tale. It's not uh, there for our entertainment or education or encouragement alone. The history of God's word is history. These are things that really happened and God was there. He did it. You know, we do our kids and ourselves a disservice when we line up fairy tales next to truth. And one of the things that I'm going to step on somebody's toe, and they might not like this, but you know, to have Santa and elves juxtaposed with a baby in a manger, and we tell our kids, but both of those are true, and later they find out that Santa and the elves aren't true, or the Easter bunny isn't true, all of a sudden the baby in the manger and the resurrection of our Lord get thrown out with the fairy tales. Let's be careful what we're teaching our children. We want them to know that the history recorded in God's word really did happen. Secondly, God loves us all as his creation and as his children. He values us, all of us, including you, enough to rescue you and to rescue us. God is, number three, and will continue to do miracles to rescue people. One of the reasons we may not be seeing miracles today is our spiritual eyes are closed and we're not realizing that some of the big things that are happening are because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. So number three is God is and will continue to do miracles to rescue his people. Fourthly, God is much bigger than our problems. You know, if you focus on the problem, what you're looking at winds up looking much bigger than looking at the God who can deliver us. But God is much bigger than our problems. We need to focus on him, not down here on the problems. If we're looking at him, it will strengthen our faith to believe that he can and will deliver us. We can trust him. Will you? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. You've recorded some powerful, convincing miracles. You have done great and mighty things. And we want to transfer our trust from what we have seen you do in the past to what you're doing in our day. And when we find ourselves in impossible situations, I thank you, God, that you are the God of the impossible. 
as Jeremiah told us that you said that you are the God the, of all living beings. And you ask the question, is there anything too hard for me? Great and mighty God, awesome in power. Thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. And whatever problems we are facing right now are nothing for you to be able to solve for us. But what you value even more than solving the problem is for us to develop that personal relationship with you that would cause us to cry out to you in the name of your son for relief, for salvation, for deliverance, and a knowledge of your great love and your power. We commit these things to you and we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives as we continue to trust you. Amen and amen. God bless you. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.